Father, as we start this series, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be the one speaking, both on Sunday mornings and all Adventureland and youth and college, small groups, and also all the midweek small groups that are going on with all of our adults. We just ask that you would have your way by the power of your Spirit. We ask that Jesus would be honored and glorified, that the body of Christ would be built up, and the enemy would be defeated. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was this uh, guy that went by the name of Bubba, and he kind of had that stereotypical look that you might think of of a Bubba. He was kind of a big, heavy, good old boy, wore overalls and a ball cap. But this Bubba, in particular, was bragging to his friends one day that he knew everybody and everybody knew him. And his friend's like, there's no way everybody knows you. He says, oh, yeah, just say a name. I'll, I'll prove it to you. And one of his friends says, LeBron James. You know LeBron James? He says, as a matter of fact, I do. And they said, prove it. So they go ahead and get plane tickets. They fly out to L.A. They go to LeBron James' house. They knock on the door. LeBron opens the door and he says, Bubba, what are you doing here, man? Hey, come on in. Well, his friends were pretty impressed that he knew LeBron James. LeBron James knew him. But they weren't totally convinced everybody in the world knew him. So one of the friends says, okay, if, you, if everybody knows you, there's no way Donald Trump knows you. President Trump doesn't know you. He says, oh, yeah, I know the Donald. He said, they said, no way. He says, they say, prove it. So they got plane tickets. They fly out to Washington, D.C. They figure how they're going to get in to prove it. And so they went, decided to take just a tour of the White House, hoping that maybe they'd get a glimpse of President Trump and they could prove that Bubba doesn't know Trump and Trump doesn't know him. But so they go ahead and get tickets. They take the tour. They're going through the White House. Sure enough, here comes President Trump with his Secret Service, and he notices Bubba. And he says, Bubba, what are you doing here? We're about to have lunch, me and Pence. Why don't you join us? And so he goes off and has lunch with President Trump and Vice President Pence. And now his friends are saying, well, this is pretty impressive. This is pretty impressive. But there is still no way everyone in the world knows you. And he says, just say another name. They said, okay, the Pope does not know you. He says, oh, yeah, I know Pope Francis. He says, there's no, they said, no, there's no way he knows you. He says, yeah, you do. They said, prove it. So they fly out to Rome. They get a cab. They go to Vatican City. They go out to St. Peter's Square. And it is packed with people because the Pope is about to come out on the balcony and dress the crowd. And so now Bubba says, there's no way he's going to see me with everybody here. It's so crowded. Uh, give me about 30 minutes. And so Bubba goes to the crowd. And his two friends stay out in the crowd. And he disappears for about 30 minutes. Well, 30 minutes later, all of a sudden, out on the balcony comes the Pope and Bubba. And they both start waving to the crowd. Well, after that, Bubba comes down because he wants to go tell his friends. See, I, I proved it to you. So he goes looking for his friends in the crowd and finds them both passed out on the ground. And so he gets on his hands and knees. He's waking them up saying, what happened? What happened? Why did you pass out? And one of his friends said, well, as soon as you and the Pope came out on the balcony, some guy next to me said, who's that on the balcony with Bubba? Well, the thing about a name like Bubba, you have a certain picture in your mind, because names can be descriptive. Some of you might have had nicknames that were descriptive. What is interesting is a lot of our names in these days aren't too descriptive, but in the Bible, names are very descriptive. They're descriptive, they're prophetic, but the names tell something about the person. Now, as we start our series on winning the fight, we need to know our enemy, and one of the ways that we're going to do that is we are going to look at the names the Bible calls him. 
Because each of these names, and we're going to see nine of them, each of these names is descriptive about what our enemy is like, his personality and his character. And the more that we know what he's like, the more we'll have an understanding as how he will attack us, what his strategies will be. And if we know what his strategies are, we can then respond appropriately and not let him win this fight, but rather win it ourselves as we start this series, Winning the Fight. So we're going to look at these names, again, because each one of them tells us something about how our enemy functions. All right, so here's the first name. The first name that we're going to look at is the name Satan. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. All right, another passage that uses that name, Revelation 12, 9, says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, the word Satan actually means adversary or opposer. It means Opposer. It's used 52 times in the Bible to describe our enemy. He opposes God, and he opposes the people of God. In fact, the early, the early church understood this about our enemy. And uh, they knew that he was their opposer, and they expected to be opposed by him. Now, the church today, a lot of times, doesn't expect to be opposed by him. And so when they are opposed, they get all discouraged and disillusioned. When, in fact, his name Satan means opposer. He will bring about opposition to us and to our mission. In fact, there's a cycle in the book of Acts that we're going to look at in more uh, detail next week that goes like this. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they're in the upper room praying. It starts with prayer. Then Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. That's the day of Pentecost. So it goes from prayer to power. Then after that, they have a ministry in which 3,000 people for the preaching of the gospel get saved. So now we have ministry. We have prayer, power, and ministry. Well, the early church realized that their enemy was the opposer. They expected opposition. Sure enough, they got it. Because in Acts chapter 4, we have the first persecution of the church. The goal of the persecution was to intimidate them to stop preaching the gospel. What do they do? Do they just get all discouraged and give up because they have opposition, like much of the church does today? No. They go back to the prayer meeting, and we get to the end of Acts chapter 4. They're praying again. What happens? What happens is more power. What happens is more ministry. What happens again? Opposition. This is the normative cycle for those who are involved in ministry that's really impacting this earth. Here is the normal cycle, not just in the book of Acts. It is the cycle for us. Prayer releases power. Power releases ministry. Ministry will be opposed. There will be opposition. What do we do? Do we quit? Do we get discouraged? Do we cry, whine? What do we do? We go back to praying. And as we pray, God releases more power. The result of that power is more ministry. What will happen next? Hello? Opposition. Opposition. So we, this is the normative cycle. Why? Because our enemy is an opposer. He will oppose your ministry. He will. Expect it. Don't be discouraged by it. Don't be disillusioned. Just go back to praying. Go back to getting people to pray with you. Go back to the jihad. Get your small group praying. But go back to the prayer meeting. And what God will do is release more power and more ministry. 
But again, don't be surprised when more opposition comes. That is normative. I tell you, if you know anybody who's been in the ministry for decades, they have seen all kinds of opposition. And those who, you know, quit along the way somehow didn't understand this cycle. You've got to keep going back to prayer. It is his power that brings the victory. Amen? So that's the first name that tells us something about our enemy. He is an opposer. He will bring opposition to you and your ministry. Just be ready to go back to prayer. Second name is the devil. Luke chapter 4, verse 2 says, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, talking about Jesus, going into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days, and he's tempted by the enemy, whose name is the devil. And he, Jesus, ate nothing during those days, and when they ended, he became hungry. Now, the word devil means slanderer or the one who separates. This is really important that we know this name means this. Devil means the one who separates or the one who trips up. But I really want to focus on this definition, the one who separates. It's used 35 times in the Bible. Now, why does the devil want to separate? Why does he want to drive, drive, drive a wedge between you and your spouse? Why does he want to drive a wedge in your family? Why does he want to drive wedges into the churches around the world and cause splits? Why does he just love to bring about racism everywhere he can just to drive that wedge. Why does the devil like this so much? Well, the devil likes this strategy because it works. He heard Jesus himself say, a house divided cannot stand. He heard Jesus say it. So what does he do? He tries to divide this house. He tries to divide your marriage. You know, when there's tension in a marriage, it's not just irreconcilable differences. You know, especially in the Christian marriage, we have a, an enemy who's got a whole delegated system, very organized, you know, hierarchy system in which there are demons assigned to do all kinds of things. And I think it would do us all well to realize we probably have a demon assigned to destroy our marriage. There's probably a demon. His assignment is to destroy our home. And as soon as you realize that, it maybe take, you'll take a little different look at, at the arguments you get into, at the tension and conflict you allow to go unresolved, Realizing, wait a second, I'm not letting the enemy do this. Not in my house. So he is one who separates. He loves to bring about church splits. He loves to do that. Because he knows a house divided cannot stand. And all these different denominations, what's up with all that? You think that was God's plan? God's plan, let's have 200,000 denominations. And confused all non-believers why we can't get along. You know, the enemy's about doing this. He's about bringing division and racism. I mean, the devil loves racism. And he is behind racism, by the way, if you don't know who's behind it all. He's behind it. The one who separates is behind racism. You know, that reminds me of a joke that I want to just tell you real quick. There was this, uh, this white guy and this black guy. They're both Christians, and they kept having this argument over whether or not Jesus was white or black. And so they had this constant argument. The white guy said, no, Jesus was white. The black guy said, no, Jesus was black. And so they're, they're driving down the road together, and, and they're having this argument, and they get in a car accident, and they both die. So they go to heaven, and they're thinking, now we're about to go into heaven's gates, and we're finally going to get the answer. We're going to see who's right. Is he white or black? They go into heaven's gates, and they see Jesus. And Jesus says, buenos dias. Okay, third name. 
The third name is Old Serpent. Old Serpent. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Apostle Paul says, But I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Revelation 12.9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, the old serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So he is old and he is crafty. In other words, he's been around a long, long time. He has been dealing with mankind, with men and women like you and me, for thousands of years. In fact, he's dealt with someone just like you and just like me. He, know, he knows exactly where that, you know, kind of, you know, opening in the armor is. He knows how to attack people like you because he's already done it for thousands of years. He knows your weaknesses. He knows it. He's the old serpent. He is old, been around a long time, very experienced, and he is very crafty, which means this, which means that we cannot rely on our own ingenuity to defeat him because he's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. So what do we rely on? We rely on the word of God because God is smarter than him. God, in fact, God already knows what he's up to. God already knows the strategy he's planning against you. That's why it's so important that we're in the Word of God every day. Every day. I tell you, if you just got in the habit of being in the Word of God on the, on the minimum of 20 minutes a day before you head off to work or class or whatever you're doing, you'll be surprised and amazed at how many times the very passage you are reading that morning will be the passage you needed that day, no matter where you're reading in that book. That is the, that's what's so amazing about the Word of God. It is supernatural. So you're reading it, and you are getting, you know, built up, strengthened, encouraged, led, guide, all that kind of thing. But on top of all that, you're going to come a situation, and you're going to know how to handle that situation because you were in the Word that day. God will give you the scriptures to be able to handle the schemes of the devil. So be in the Word and be in the Word every day. Fourth name. The fourth name is Great Dragon. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So he is this destructive beast. He's, he, he seeks out your destruction and my destruction. All right, fifth name, the evil one. John 17, verse 15, Jesus is praying. He says to the Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. 1 John 5, 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he was born, talking about on a regular basis, as a, as a part of their life. No one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, so his name is Evil One. He is intrinsically evil. It is his very nature to corrupt others to evil. What do I mean by that? I mean that every time we give into a temptation and, are, and, and sin and then are unrepentant about it, then the evil one can corrupt our nature. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every time, if every time you tell a lie and you're unrepentant about telling that lie, you don't confess it as sin. Every time you do that, you become more a liar. Because he, he's intrinsically evil. He's trying to corrupt your nature. Every time you steal and you're unrepentant about stealing, then you become more a thief. See, every time you lust and you're unrepentant about your Lusting, then you become more and more lustful. 
in your character. He is trying to corrupt your nature. That's why it's so important that 1 John 1.9 is part of our daily life. When we sin, we confess our sins quickly. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all that corrupting work the devil's trying to do in your nature. When you confess your sins, not only does he forgive your sins, he's cleansing you. He's cleansing you. Don't let the evil one corrupt your nature. So confess sin quickly. That's an important part of spiritual warfare. Learn to confess sin quickly. All right, sixth name, destroyer. Revelation 9, 11. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name is, in Hebrew, is Abaddon. Abaddon, I mean. In the Greek, his name is Apollyon. So these, both these words mean he is destroyer. Uh, by the way, you remember when Jesus cast uh, the legion of demons you know, and, and, the, and, and the demons say, can, can you cast us into the swine? And Jesus permits that. He casts them into the swine. You ever wonder why they run off the cliff into a swine dive? <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake here. But you ever wonder why they, all, the, all the pigs run off the cliff and die? Because that is, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his, that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy. He's destroyer. All right, seventh name, tempter. Matthew 4, 3. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Remember, that's part of the temptation account in the wilderness. The enemy's called the tempter. All right, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. The goal of temptation, by the way, Keep this in mind, when you're being tempted to sin, the goal of the devil is not just to get you to do that one sin. The goal of the devil for each of our lives is to, the goal of his temptation, the goal of the tempter is to cause us to spiritually defect. What he wants us to do is give up this Christian life. Give up ministry. Give it up. Walk away from it. Decide you're not following Jesus anymore. That's his goal. His goal is always spiritual defection. The way he starts is temptation. It's temptation. And I'm like, we're going to show you how this works in just a moment, so keep that in mind. I'll explain how it works in a minute. All right, eighth name is deceiver. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Revelation 20, verse 3, and they threw him, and threw him into the abyss and shut it up and sealed it over him so that he, the devil, should not deceive the nation's any longer. He is the deceiver. And by the way, one of the things that he uses to deceive is lust. You know, lust is, is, de is deceitful. That's why in Ephesians 4.22, it's actually called the lust of deceit. The reason is because lust is deceitful. Lust promises to satisfy you, but it is a liar. It leaves you emptier than you were before you gave into it. Lust promises to fulfill, but it is a liar. And so, by the way, one of the biggest weapons of lust deception today, and it's never been bigger than it is today, is pornography. Do you know that in just last year, people dedicated around this planet 
dedicated well over four and a half billion hours watching porn on one site. Four and a half billion hours watching porn on one porn site. On that single website, humanity spent twice as much time viewing porn in a year as it has spent on planet Earth, cumulatively speaking. In other words, watching porn, if you add up all the time they spent watching porn, that, all that time, individually added all up, is more than mankind's been on the Earth. In fact, the site, that site I'm talking about, had 90 billion video views last year. It had 44,000 visitors every minute of every day. 44,000 visitors every minute of every day, which adds up to over 500,000 years worth of porn consumed in one year. Do you know that porn has become America's favorite pastime? I can prove it to you. The porn industry is worth $97 billion today, which is more than 100 times what it was worth just 20 years ago. In 20 years, it's worth 100 times as much. But today, porn actually grosses more each year than Hollywood. Porn actually grosses more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And that's just the legal porn, the W-2 filing porn. That doesn't include all the illegal porn. And who knows what that number would be. So porn is one of the devil's biggest weapons the deceiver's biggest weapons to wreck men and women's lives. Let me explain what I mean by that. In 1987, the New York Times reported on a radioactive contamination accident that happened in Brazil. I don't know how many of you remember reading about that many years ago. But it left 112,000 people with radioactive contamination. What happened was this. Was it began when this private radiotherapy institute decided they were going to move to a new, a new venue, a new building. And unknowingly, they left behind a container of radioactive material inside this obsolete unit that was used for cancer treatment. Well, two men illegally entered the partially demolished building, and they uh, stole this container. And then they decided that they would uh, actually disassemble the unit. Now, this container with the radioactive material, they thought was, they just thought they could get some uh, scrap value for it. So they're going to go see if they could make some money off of this. And one of the thieves punctured a small hole in the container, in this thick window, allowing him to see this deep blue light that was coming from this tiny opening. So the thieves, they went ahead and they, they were just enamored by the light, but they decided they would sell this container to the scrapyard, and they did. And the guy who buys this container at the scrapyard, he was, they, they pointed out this blue light, and he was really captured by it. He thought it might be supernatural. And so he brought it to his house. And over the next three days, he invited all his friends and family to come view this strange substance. Well, they decided what they would do is take it all apart. And inside, inside they found this shiny, bluish dust, which... They thought it was so neat because it glowed in the dark. So all his friends and family are coming over, and they're rubbing it on themselves because it was just so pretty and blue and glowed. 
Now realizing what they were rubbing themselves with, and they all became very, very sick, and a medical physicist used a device to confirm the presence of radioactive materials and alerted the authorities. But the result of that was 112,000 people were contaminated because they couldn't stop looking at this beautiful substance that was actually killing them. Well, that's how porn is. It attracts people, it makes them feel good for a moment, and then it begins to corrupt and sicken people, even kill them spiritually. Here's what Galatians 6, 7, 8 says. Do not be, conceived, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. I just want to ask those of you who are viewing porn right now, on live stream as well, those of you that are viewing porn, I want to ask you a simple question. How much longer are you going to allow this to sicken you before you stop it? The devil's behind it. The deceiver's behind it. Let's look at one last name. One last name of the enemy is the accuser. Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. We already read Zechariah 3.1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing there at his right hand to accuse him. See, this name tells us a lot about how our enemy functions. He loves to accuse us. The reason he loves to accuse us is his accusation, what is behind his accusation is simply this. You are unworthy to be a representative of Christ based on what you've done. That's the accusation. You are unworthy. How could you dare? How could you dare witness to your neighbor? You're unworthy to do that. And then he replays, he kind of replays the on the big screen of your mind, the sins of your life. And then he says, see what you've done. How could you talk about Jesus? Come on. You're not worthy. And so many listen to that lie. And they back off and eventually quit altogether and defect. Stop following Christ. So I want to put just three names together that really tells a lot about his strategy. Temptation, deception, accusation. Temptation, deception, Accusation. He starts with a temptation. The process of the temptation, he brings in deception to convince you that it's going to be okay to do this. You are not going to have any consequences for this sin. It's going to feel good. And then you do it. And then he brings in the accusation. Look what you did. You're not worthy. Follow Christ. And then the goal, then, and then, he, then he reaches his goal after the accusation. So many then defect. They stop following Jesus. They think they're not worthy to follow him. You know, about, oh, I guess it was 25 years ago or so, I was invited to, to speak uh, to a, a men's uh, group in Mississippi. And so I was, I was driving from here from Texas, drove through Louisiana to Mississippi, and Louisiana is where I went to high school. And I just decided I had a little time. I thought, I want to drive to my old high school campus. And I'm all ready to drive, you know, to go do this you know, retreat, these men, and I thought, I'd just take a, a little time to drive through the campus and just kind of go down memory lane. So I'm driving to my high school campus, and I did go down memory lane. 
And I started to remember all the shameful things I did in high school. And I tell you, and, it just, and I just felt shame come, being heaped on me. Shame and guilt. And, the, and then the accuser of the brethren is saying, you're going to go speak to these men in Mississippi? What kind of life you've lived? And then the Lord just reminded me that the Gary Hutchison who did all those things and sinned in those ways was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And all his sins, past, present, and future, were paid for in full by the cross of Christ. That I had been justified once and for all, and that he remembers my sins no more. I no longer need to feel any guilt and shame for those things I've done because they have been, they have been forgiven and have been cleansed of it, and he forgets about it. I tell you, one of the key passages for me in my life has been Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. No condemnation. It begins with summarizing the the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, and then ends with, and no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is so awesome. No condemnation and no separation, no matter what. I mean, if, if you really believe that, it'll completely revolutionize your life and your Christian experience. You know, the overarching theme of Romans 8, chapter 8, is, is the security of the believer in Christ. We are completely secure in him. So when we get to Romans 8, verse 1, the word, therefore with which the chapter begins, indicates the Apostle Paul is summing up and expressing a conclusion from the first seven chapters. And he doesn't just bring this, his conclusion isn't just based on what he said in chapter 7. His conclusion is based on what he said in the whole first seven chapters, especially chapters 3, 4, and 5, that our salvation is through the death and resurrection of Christ. Because then he says the word now. Now emphasize this salvation there's now no condemnation. This salvation is already ours in Christ Jesus. Look at it again, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then later in the chapter, he's going to argue that nobody can accuse us. Remember what the devil wants to do? The accuser, the brother wants to do? Nobody can accuse us because God has justified us. And nobody can condemn us. Why? Because Christ died, was raised. God's right hand is now interceding for us. Look at this, Romans 8, 33 and 34. It says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. You know, many years ago, I was reading this story. I was really captured by it. There was a group of pioneers that had heard about some homesteading possibilities in the west of the United States. And so they got their wagons covered wagons, and they headed west. And as, as these pioneers are heading west, they came to a certain part of the country in which they noticed a, this smoke rising in the direction they were coming, the wind's blowing in their faces, and they realized there's a grass fire, a huge grass fire coming right at them. They crossed the river the day before, but they know there's no way they can get back to crossing that river before that fire reaches them. So what are they going to do? So one of the men in one of the covered wagons has this idea. And what he does is they decide to set fires behind them 
So they set the grass on fire behind them with the wind blowing them away from them. And it actually burns all the grass behind them. And then they take all their wagons and they go and they move them to the place where the grass is already burned. And then the grass fire just burns itself out right in front of them. And as they're waiting there, this little girl screams, what's going to happen when the fire is going to reach us? And what they basically, what basically say is this. One of the guys yells out, my child, the flames cannot reach us because we're standing where the fire has already been. Well, I think it's a beautiful picture for the believer who's safe in Christ. The fires of judgment have been burned, have burned themselves out in regard to us on Jesus Christ on the cross. And right now we're safe. We are standing where the fire has already been. Romans 1 through 7 lays it all out. In fact, I'll I'll summarize Romans chapter 1 through 7 in one sentence for you. Ready? Holy God, sinful man, coming wrath, perfect Savior, Jesus Christ crucified and risen, justification by faith, sanctification by faith. And then Paul sums up the whole message, which, by the way, I think he sums up the message of Christianity in Romans 8.1 by saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he ends up chapter 8 with, and there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just read that. Romans 8.35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, those are demonic forces, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the essence of Christianity. The central foundational message of God to this whole world This is a central message, by the way, too, of Grace Community Church to our community and to the nations. That is what we announce. That's what we plead. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and no separation from his love to those who belong to him. This is the gospel. I mean, this is Christianity. All of us in this room, all of us live streaming, at one time we're under condemnation because of our sin. As Romans 5, 6 says that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? It means, as we see in Romans 8, 3, that God poured out on his son the condemnation that you and I deserved. Romans 8, in verse 3, he condemned sin, my sin, in the flesh, Christ's flesh. So he took the condemnation that we deserved, and then Christ, he, he took and absorbed all that condemnation on himself, absorbed our judgment took all of our sins, past, present, and future, all of them. Even that one the devil keeps accusing you about, he took it already. He already bore it. So finally now, there's no condemnation. Now that everything's been done that needs to have been done to absorb the wrath of God, now finally, no condemnation. The verdict of the last judgment was given in AD 33, not guilty. No condemnation already now. This is the heart of Christianity. Now, what difference does it make? What difference this makes is this. The devil's got a strategy he's been using for thousands of years. He's going to use it against us as long as we're still breathing. His strategy is to temptation, get, try to tempt you to sin, bring deception in to convince you that sin's not going to really cost you anything. It's going to be worth it. 
and then bring accusation. Pyre, heap shame and guilt on you. What is his goal? His goal is that you will spiritually defect. That's his goal. That you will not continue to walk with Jesus and serve him. I tell you, as a college student, as a new Christian, I was struggling with so much, I was struggling so much with feelings of unworthiness, my first year of conversion. And somebody had to bring me to Romans 8.1. And I said, I just, had, I just found my favorite verse. But then there's one more verse that helped me. It's Isaiah 43, verse 25. It says this. This is God speaking. He says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. See, because I still had this idea that, okay, I know, there's, I know that you forgive me and stuff, but I still kind of saw God as like, I forgive you, but I sure am disappointed in you. I still saw God kind of like shaking his head like, I forgive you, but I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. And so that didn't relieve me from the shame and guilt because I, th- I think I've disappointed him. And then when I finally realized I, he only, not only forgives me in Christ, but he forgets my sins. And that, that totally set me free from shame and guilt. And there's some of you here today that need to be set free from that. And we're going to close with a minister time just asking God to give you the grace to really believe who you are in Christ and believe that he forgives and forgets your sins and that you can walk out of this building with no shame and no guilt. So I want to invite us all to stand as we get ready to close in prayer. And Kathy's going to come up and sing a song over us. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Those of you that just, in all honesty... If you just, you're just saying, you know what, I'm, I struggle with feelings of unworthiness. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with shame and guilt, whatever. And, you're, and, you're, and you don't want to walk out of here with that anymore. And during the song, just come on down in front. We're going to pray for you, and I want to speak some things over you in just a moment. So let's pray. Father, we do ask you now for this ministry of your spirit where you can take the words that just come out of my mouth and the words. And Lord, you can somehow just do something supernatural now. Lord, you can take these verses and you can just put them in hearts and deep into souls and spirits and you can set people free. That you can have your spirit come upon people through the laying out of hands and the grace of God hit them in such a way that, that they see everything differently and they've got new strength and new hope and a new future. So we're just asking, Father, would you do this work? Do this work, we ask in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. So if you need, if you just think, I'm str- I struggle. All you're saying is I struggle with some feelings of unworthiness. Don't be embarrassed. This is a family here, but I, I could use some prayer. Just slip out during this song. Come down, and then others will come and just begin to pray for you. Then I want to pray something over you too. So let's just ask the Lord to do this. Again, Lord, I pray that you make this a safe place. People won't worry about posturing. And you, they can put aside pride and we can just be real. And we can just be family. And you can set people free today. So if you struggle with feelings of unworthiness, just come on down.
Some more come down and pray for these people, would you? pray out loud. Just pray out loud. Those in your chairs, just extend your hand and pray for these that are down here. Come, Lord, do this. King David, after he committed adultery and murder, there was a ministry time that he responded to when the prophet came to him, prophet Nathan. And then Nathan spoke this over him. He said, the Lord has taken away your sins. Now I'm going to speak this in the name of Jesus right now, and it's not going to be just the words of man that the Spirit of God is going to do something deep in every one of you now. Ready? Receive this now. The Lord has taken away your sins. The Lord has taken away your sins. There's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. The enemy can't use this anymore against you. And the Lord forgets this sin. So even if you remember it, he forgot it. 
So why are you remembering it? So we forget about it now. We forget about it because he forgot about it. This is a new day. His mercies are new every day. This is new mercies now. And you right now are walking under just, just fresh grace of God. The fresh grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this truth. You just as we, as Kathy reminded us this song, that we're going to believe what you say. We're not believing this liar anymore. This devil's a liar. We're not believing him anymore. We believe what you say. And we thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray, Lord, you would just fill us with your spirit, all of us fresh and new today. Lord, we'd walk out of here as more than conquerors. <clears throat> Lord, and we, you'd use us mightily this week to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have any questions, there's Connection Coffee in the back. Also, if this is your first time, I'd love to meet you down here in the front. Welcome, Center. God bless you. Have a great day.